they're still well back in the National Hockey League playoff spot chase. The Edmonton Oilers did themselves no favors in losing 5-0 on Tuesday to the visiting Buffalo Sabres, a team that sat dead last in the league heading into that game. That loss by a listless lineup didn't help them in the standings, of course, but also didn't help quell the fears and fury of a disappointed fan base. Disappointed in how inconsistent the team has been in 2017-18 after a fine 103-point second playoff round appearance a year before. And home ice continues to be a disadvantage. Their penalty-killing units kill off just barely more than 50% of the opposing team's power plays at Rogers Place, worst by far in the NHL heading into the January 25th game against Calgary. Contrast that with their penalty-killing efforts on the road away from Edmonton. They're one of the best in the NHL then, ranked second at almost 87%. Then there's the fact they've dropped three of their last five home games by 5 nothing scores. They scored just 19 power play goals all season, good for a 14.8% conversion rate. Both marks put them second worst in the league. The outcome of Thursday's game against Calgary could be a tipping point for the Oilers if they lose. Lose badly like they did against the Buffalo Sabres, and heads are likely to roll. The coaching staff and even management could be affected. Win, and at least the Oilers can say they've won four of their last five games, with the shutout loss to Buffalo a cruel road bump. And if people get fired, who will be installed to replace them? If head coach Todd McClellan gets the axe, is there a ready candidate to step in in the interim, or even permanently? Same goes for general manager Peter Schiarelli. Remember, though, that the Oilers are a franchise that has done plenty of coaching and management changes over the last decade or so. Would firings really be the right move now? I'm Craig Ellingson. I'm joined by hockey writers Jim Matheson and Robert Tichkowski to talk about these topics and more in our Oil Spills podcast for Thursday, January 25th, 2018. So what should we talk about? Hmm. It's Thursday, January 25th. So this is the last game tonight the Oilers play the Calgary Flames before the All-Star break. And uh, we'll have a whole week until they play again next Thursday against Colorado. But in the interim, all depending on what happens tonight, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, the Edmonton Oilers are coming off a 5 nothing loss to the lowly Buffalo Sabres. Were they in last place when they played them? I think so, 30th mm-hmm. or 31st. Yeah, battling it over Arizona. Yeah. You know, they'd co- they were on a three-game winning streak. They come in, they get shut out, and here we are faced with, you know, it sounds like a do-or-die game and from what I've been reading and hearing for the coaching staff. Now, if they win this game, then you could say, oh, they've won four or five, you know. Never mind the blip on the radar Buffalo Sabres. I think when the LA Kings lost the other night to the Canucks, I can't remember the player that said it. They said, you know what, we're just going to try to forget this one and move on. Is that all this is for the Oilers, or is this a little more dire? It's more dire. I don't think, even if they win tonight, they're still 10 points out of the playoffs. You know, it's nice to say they're really good against the Pacific Division, which they would be. They'd be 10 and 2. And they're the only team in the division that's beaten. Vegas but you know it's still way below where they probably should be and I you know if, if there's 
coaching changes coming or management changes coming, they usually happen when there's a break in the schedule over a period of time where you can bring somebody else in and he looks after the team. So uh, I hope not because I think Todd McClellan's a really good coach. And I don't know if there's anybody out there better than Todd McClellan, but something's got to give if the orders are as meek as they've been at home this year where they've three five nothing losses and two four nothing losses uh, at home so that's five shutouts by at least four goals and they're not losing one nothing here they're mm-hmm. losing badly and they've lost badly in a lot of games this year you know they're, they're not losing these games uh three two in, in overtime or shootouts they're losing them by you know in the last road tip two they lost four one five one um before we're getting it together against Arizona and Vegas, so something wrong here. Yeah, they've almost painted themselves into a no-win situation. So they, you know, they come out and beat Calgary tonight. It, it still doesn't excuse they needed that win over Buffalo uh, last game. You can't just sort of. Uh, some of the newer phones have vibrate on them. You should. Check them. Check them. That's turned really loud. I'm not going to edit this out of the podcast. No, just let it no, go. Watch Matty stumbling with his phone is half Turn is better off. than this. There we go. Todd McClellan's calling? No? <laughs> I wish. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you sit there and, you you know, you beat Calgary, and you, of course they're going to come out and play this inspired game because it's Calgary and they want to redeem themselves over what happened against Buffalo. But it doesn't change the fact of what happened against Buffalo. You you come out again. I mean, they shouldn't be turning their nose up at any team in the league. But Buffalo comes to town, playing its second game in two nights. You need to run them out of your building. You got to you got to get that game. And for them to just take a knee like that, I mean, winning the next game doesn't excuse what just happened. That's a that's a big problem in that room. Yes, and then it, it always turns out that somebody takes the fall for a team playing playing poorly, and it's never the players. Because you know we'll we'll understand the quotes later. Ah, oh, you know, this is on us, not the coaching staff. We had to play better, and we feel bad. And you know, the, the, we've heard all the quotes before. And uh, but there's something wrong here when the Oilers are losing to teams they should beat and losing badly. And they're not anywhere near as competitive in a lot of games this year as they were last year. Even if. They won a t- pile of games last year. They rallied, won games. When they're behind in the games this year, they're mm-hmm. pretty much behind in the games. They're not coming back. No, they. Yeah, there's not a lot of offense, and their special teams is just a train wreck. So that uh, that's enough to sink a hockey team. You know, who was it that said? You know, I can't remember the exact quotes, but it was Milan Lucic basically saying something about Buffalo, and you know, not being the most respectful comment about playing the Sabres but you know if that's the attitude in the room if it's reflected by Milan Lucic then uh, you know a guy who's paid to be a veteran presence on this team Mm -hmm. a lot of money for a few more years yet and he's 31 years old I mean, what do you what do you do with that? Yeah, I think everybody falls into the trap. I thought, okay, you know, they'll beat Buffalo. Like, you know, who are the Oilers to be saying they should beat anybody? Right? Like, they're one of the worst teams in the league, and they have to approach it that way. That you have to outwork everybody you play. That you're not better than anybody else. You're the standings say you are where you are for a reason. And and I think they're still having trouble coming to grips with that. They think it's some sort of you know glitch or aberration, or they're really up here. They're not really down here. But you know, it's you know over halfway through the season the standings don't lie they're they're a bad team i agree totally uh you can't 
think that you're so much better than the Buffalo Sabres when you're in the bottom uh, quarter of the league in right. terms of points. You should be thinking, okay, they played last night. We'll run them out of the building in the first period. We'll get up three nothing, and then they'll just say that's enough. We we got to yeah. But they didn't do that. And, um, dictating games has been a problem for the Oilers this year. They don't dictate many games, mm-hmm. and at home, and you know. Like I said, the only times they really look good is when there's a challenge there. The best game the Oilers have played this year was on October 4th against the Calgary Flames. They won 3 nothing, and you thought, man, they look every bit as good as they did in the playoffs last year. Calgary never touched the puck. (laughs) And it could have been 6 nothing. Mike Smith was terrific. And since then, uh, they've had trouble reaching that level against uh, a really good team. A handful of teams. They had a good game against Anaheim there. But, uh, yeah, just the nights where they've been dominant and dynamic and, and all, fa- all aspects of the game have been clicking if you can count it on one hand. What is it about Rogers' place this year? I mean, never mind the, the home record, which is around 500, but the penalty kill, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about this all season. What is it? Is it's, it the pressure? It's, yeah, it's, psycho- it's mental. It's, it's psychological. I mean, if, you, if you're first in the league on the road and you're last in the league at home, it's something between the ears and tough to figure it out i mean it's a bad atmosphere in that building if you've been to a lot of the rinks in the league you know rogers place is one of the worst atmospheres in the nhl but that doesn't matter to the players you just go out and play right but uh obviously something is just not sitting right with uh their eye when they're in that building i'd like to think it's like uh you're putting where you can never make a you never make a a four footer even though it looks like you should be making this and you just keep missing them and and but you know, you go on, you go to a different golf course. Is the golf, the, the greens don't become any easier unless mm-hmm. you're playing, you know, pitch and putt. So uh, you still miss the putt. So I, I don't get it. I don't know how you can be first in the league, first and thirty first. Yeah. They're not like seventeenth on the road and thirty first at home. Yeah. They're absolutely first, best in the league on the road, worst in the league at home. Yeah, and that defies description. I don't I don't I, know if that's ever happened before in, in the NHL. I don't think so. I don't know how you can be eighty six percent in one on all those buildings in the road and be fifty four at home. And I think I do think it becomes a cycle. You just expect the other team's gonna score a yeah. power play goal and it's usually gonna happen early in the game and you're gonna be down a goal in the game. And that's tough though when you're can't kill a penalty at home, you're already behind. Yeah. And when you're a big tough team that wants to, you know, that's scared to take a penalty, you're just suddenly just a big slow team, right? You, you can't you can't bring to the fore one of the elements that made you kind of tough to play against last year where you were the bullies a little bit and you could you could run rough shot a little bit. If they take a penalty or two at home, you know, they're gonna give up a goal and then they don't score a whole bunch, so you know, they're just playing on edge right now. And yeah, that's and, a no and way to the play. Power play often teams they're good at one or the other power play or penalty kill seldom are you really good at both and if the Oilers were good like they were last year in the power play where they're fifth I think yeah. it wouldn't be as magnified because they'd be getting their three or four power plays themselves but the Oilers are 10 for 70 at home in the power play this year mm-hmm. 10 for 70 and they've only scored 19 power play goals and they played 48 games <laughs> and they've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in their power play mm-hmm. 19 power play goals um, so you know, like I said, if when they get a power play, they do nothing with it. And when the other yeah. team gets a power play, they do something with it. And uh, as long as there's 20 minutes out of every 60 on the special teams and you're not good at either, uh, you're usually losing. 
Does Connor McDavid need to shoot more on the power play, maybe? Well, the coach says Connor McDavid is shooting more this year than he did last year. He says the power play shoots more this year than he did last year. They get more stats than I do. They yeah. keep those sort of things. That's why they have analytics people. Yeah, that's because he didn't shoot at all last year. So My theory on that is I think teams just, when Connor's on the power play, they, he stays in one spot and he moves the puck around and they know he's not shooting the puck. You know, he may have shots on the power play, but maybe it's on a rush and he's going around a defenseman or something yeah. like that. But he doesn't ever waste one at a goalie's head from the hash marks yeah. early in the game and says, okay, I'm shooting here. Or the first power play, nobody else shoots but him. So this thing's, oh, maybe he's in a shooting mind this year. Well, so they're, they're in love with that one-timer, you know. Just the good power plays, as soon as you get half a lane, just put it on that. You look for the deflection or the rebound or the screen or the fluke or the bad goal. The Edmonton is pass, 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 pass. One-timer, boop, you know, ring around the boards and try to enter the zone again with two drop passes. It's it's predictable and it's not working. But the, the good power plays shoot the puck all the time and it starts with uh, having a guy in the point maybe to to, to boom one which they don't really have cleft ball maybe to some extent but just the mindset of everybody on the team has to be if you have half a lane doesn't even have to be a scoring chance just fire it on net and let, let the guys around the net get the rebound get the tip get the deflection get the screen there's a lot of ways you can score by throwing the puck at the net and there's not very many ways you can score by passing it around the outside of the zone 15 times well and it shows that they can make Passes because they let you. Like teams will just yeah, sit they back just and say, well, "Okay, we're gonna, you can pass it ten times here. If yeah. You're not going to take a shot." So and teams got wise to Mark Latestu standing right. there waiting too. And I think, like Rob Brown pointed out on on the radio the other day, and Rob was a great power play guy in junior. He says teams watch the way players handle the puck on the power play too, and they're not in when they retrieve the puck on a pass. They're not in position to shoot the puck, so they say, "Well, you know." He, he, his feet are positioned so he's getting it and he's passing it again. He's not in position to take one stride and shoot it. So you know they watch it and says, "Watch his body's turned sideways. He's right. not shooting. The, he's not yeah. facing the net with this. He's not shooting it." So um, there's telltale signs and, and teams scout this power play and, of the orders. And I agree with Rob. If if there's eight passes before a shot, you've already eaten up 45 seconds yeah. of that power play without even a shot at the goaltender. You know, the whole problems at home is it must come from the new orange jerseys or something. Mm-hmm. Too bright, too distracting, or not. That's uh, the guys in them. That's, <laughs> that's sorry. They looked pretty good last year in those same orange jerseys. So yeah. they, I think the, it's the guys in them. And the owners don't even have one guy who's really going good on the power play. Like last year it was Latestu. Yeah. They could look for him, and he was scoring. And this year they don't have even one guy who's really lighting it up on the power play that they can say, you know what, they can't stop this. They can't stop this play. And it's like Vancouver's play used to be that redirect from Henrik to Daniel where he redirected from the high slot until the team stopped it. They were going to do that every game. Mm-hmm. And they scored lots of goals on it. But the owners don't have that that play. And uh, as a consequence, when they do get a power play, it's like, it's like all the power plays you see in the playoffs. When you're playing the same team over and over and over again, suddenly the power play efficiency drops and drops and drops and drops, and teams are desperate to try to get a power play goal to get a goal, and then nothing much happens on the power play, special teams in the playoffs. But this is a regular season when it should be easier playing a different team every night who you know, can't be scouting you to death with how you work the power play, and the owners can't get anything done. Now we've been, you know, 
obviously there's a lot of finger pointing going on, um, and rightly so. Um, and you can look at goaltending too. Cam Talbot hasn't been the player he was last year. No, he's by my calculation, he's had 12 games where he's given up two or fewer, and he's had 15 where he's given up four or more. So that's there's not much middle ground there. Uh, and some of those games he's given up four or more, it hasn't necessarily been his fault because the team hasn't been mm-hmm. very good in front of him. And he's got a couple of mercy hooks, but he's been hooked six times. Last year he was hooked six times in 73 games. He's been hit, hooked six times this year halfway through the season. So he's not as good as he was last year. He was he overachieved last year where he was top. He should have been a Vezina finalist, I think, with yeah. all the games he played and wasn't. And this year he's been, you know, his, his save percentage is not much over nine and his goal average is you know, three-ish, not good enough. Mm. Uh, he's not the only goalie in the league. Carey Price hasn't been very good either in Montreal by his standards. But if Cam had played sort of like last year, maybe they have five more wins. That's ten more points. They've got 55 points, and they're in the running with Calgary and L.A. and Anaheim for for a playoff spot in the Pacific. Yeah. Just five more wins out of 48 games. But um, the Oilers goaltending this year, in in a lot of cases, hasn't been awful, but they haven't exactly stolen them too many games either. I don't know if Rob would agree, yeah. but they, they haven't played a game at the end of the game. He says, oh, they never don't worry, deserve this 2-1 win, then fly to the moon. He covered he covered up a lot of their mistakes last year. Ton was, of was the thing, and now that he's not this necessarily doing it at the rate that he was last year, those mistakes you know are still there, and in some cases they're more more glaring and more evident. And yeah, there have been nights when he's been you know a little bit subpar, and there have been nights when they've just hung him out to dry and left these backdoor tap-ins that nobody would have saved. And you know you just combine everything, and it becomes just an avalanche of of, of, a, of a hard season for the guy. And you know there they are. So what is the mood down in Rogers' place right now? Is it, let's say, the Oilers lose tonight? Are we firing a coach? Something uh, going to happen? I'd say there's yeah. a good possibility of that. I don't, you know, I I hope not because I think, like I said, Todd is a really good coach. He's won 410 games. He's lost like 246. His winning percentage is excellent. He wins a whole lot more than he loses. Mm-hmm. Um but the coach is always the fall guy in hockey, more than any other sport, I think. The coach is always the fall guy, and three years is often the time coaches get fired yeah. in their third year of a contract. I don't think he should get fired, but something's got to happen. If if they lose, I don't know, if they lose 3-2 in overtime in a shootout, I don't necessarily think so. If they lose by three goals yeah. again something's got to happen it's another buffalo game something yeah you think would happen or should happen but it just depends who does the firing yeah like if it's if it's you know if they leave it up to shirelli then he ain't firing himself so it'll be mcclellan then then if it's if it's higher up the food chain where maybe you know nicholson's making the call then i i would say it'd probably be shirelli that went uh even though changing a gm in, in mid-season doesn't Unless they accomplish, unless the the president tells the general manager you got to f- make a change, you got to fire the coach, and the general manager says I don't want to fire the coach. He's a good coach. Well, you're both the good. old. <laughs> the old you remember, I always remember the Harry Neal story with Roger Nielsen in, in in Vancouver, and Harry told it many times. The owner Arthur Griffiths told Harry, the general manager, to fire Roger Nielsen, his good friend, and he, he said I don't want to fire him. And so they waited two more weeks, and they still didn't win games. And then Arthur Griffiths came back and says, okay. Are we going to fire one guy or two guys here? Because you're both gone. And then Harry said, you know what? He's a great friend of mine, but sorry. <laughs> sure. right. So he fired Roger, his good friend, and Harry kept his job. So 
eventually you're told what to do, and it's usually higher up the food chain. So I don't know. It's the, you know the two most disappointing teams in the entire NHL this year are in Ottawa and Edmonton. I think mm-hmm. considering where they went in the playoffs last year, mm-hmm. neither team, both fan bases are looking at what the heck happened here. We're almost in the you know Cup final or in the in the conference final, and next now we're irrelevant again. Like what happened here? Where do we go? And and then you start looking for answers. Or you start looking for fall guys. So I hope I hope it's not Todd because I think he's he's really good at what he does. Um, but if they lose bad again tonight, I don't know. Something's got to give. Yeah, yeah. Something something should give if they if they if you see another Buffalo game. Uh, you won't. I, there's no way they're gonna. But if they did drop another bomb like that, then I think over this All Star break there'll be some high level summit meetings where they sort of plan a. Their new course of action down the stretch. They sh- I agree with Rob. They shouldn't because they've beaten them six straight times. That's the one team in this division they they seem to have their handle on yeah. playing them. And the games have been normally close, but the Oilers still win them. So, I mean, you're playing the Calgary Flames before at home before the All Star break. You wouldn't think that they're gonna. No, there's no way they'll 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 play hard, rise up, and have a have a good game tonight. Pretty sure of that. You know, I'm thinking about the potential for changes. You know, this is a franchise, as we all know, of course, that has made a lot of changes management level coaches level and obviously you know Shirelli and McClellan were brought in because of their pedigree heading heading in Shirelli Stanley Cup winning general manager in Boston McClellan had successful teams in San Jose very successful not cup winners but that's why they were brought in um what what message are you delivering to your fan base if you're like, you know, less than three years later, oh, we have to change these guys out again. Depends who they bring in. <laughs> yeah. This fan base obviously has no stomach for anybody who once played for the Oilers nope. in their glory days. Don't be bringing in anybody like nope. that because they don't like it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think a fan base realizes that changes are usually made uh, when things aren't going good. Uh, and, you know, you can't get rid of you know the old stupid cliche you can't get rid of all the players so you get rid of somebody else so what message does it send i would it should be a okay we're still uh, how long is this rebuild going yeah messages the messages we're screwing up here and that (laughs) one year was just an aberration where we got 103 points and now we're back to missing the playoffs again for 11th time in 12 years um like if you're a fan you think can't you what's going on can't you people get it together here. Yeah, I think the frustration and anger level is such right hot. now that if it's they fired a GM, the fans wouldn't be saying, "Oh, why are you making all these changes?" Like they want blood pretty soon, and and uh, you know, likely to get it. Just, I mean, they, this is an organization that has gone through how many coaches in how many years. So that's what bad organizations do. You know, you you sort of get in that you know constant cycle where everybody has to readjust to the new people. But you know, this it's a bad year, man. And, and if they don't figure something out, then something has to change. You know, look at uh, teams this year that bounced back from bad years last year. Um, you know, Los Angeles, you know, missed playoffs last year. This year, you know, near the top of the conference. Dallas is playing better. Colorado as well. I mean, L.A. and Dallas, obviously they have new coaches. Mm-hmm. Colorado, I don't know, Colorado. Colorado got faster. Mm-hmm. They, they were slow last year. They got faster, and they played north-south fast fast game with 
you know, you know, and their coach obviously, who was a tremendously successful minor league coach, was thrown to the wolves last year, and they weren't very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year, he looks like the same guy that was very successful in minors at pushing the right buttons. So, but it's you know, like I said, it's it's all comparison in this league. You look at other teams, think, well, why are they doing it? We're not. You know, how can they? Vegas Golden Knights have sixty-eight points. The Edmontoners have forty-five. You know, and they're looking at it. Come on, how can this be? So, I'm sure, the people higher up look at this exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, I guess the key for Edmonton, if they're not going to stick with their Jared Bender and Tom McClellan, they have to. Find, the John Stevens isn't necessarily sitting there, like in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're, you're, or those, there's the Ken Hitchcock route for Dallas. Um. I don't know. I don't know. It's like I said, something's happening because the because the orders talk a good game, but don't play as well as they talk mm-hmm. about preparing themselves to play the games and stuff. And often, some of their better games this year, they played really hard in a loss on the road. They lost in Nashville, played really well. The early yeah. in the year, they played a Pittsburgh team and really played well against them twice and lost by a goal when the Penguins were still playing good in the cup champs. And, but, but you, know, you can't have your people at playing like this at home. If you're going to play poorly, play them on the road where they're watching on TV. They're not, they're not paying $200 to go to the games and, yeah. and, and then you know vent to the talk shows and whatever else is going on after the game and, and uh, be very unhappy. They could vote with their wallets instead. They, well, the tickets are all sold, though. Yeah, I mean, based on last year, everybody had the high expectations, so they ran to the wickets. But a couple more years of this, at the, some of the highest ticket prices in the league, people eventually, I mean, this is a, a pretty soft market. You can be a awful franchise and still sell out for a long time. Like, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, if you put them anywhere in the States, would have folded three times over. Uh, the fans here will just, for the large part, show up no matter what. But there is a there is a boiling point for everybody or a tipping point for everyone where they say, okay, I'm just... I'm not gonna not gonna pay for it anymore, and I don't know if we'll ever see that time. But uh, well, they're going to watch Connor McDavid. Yeah. Nothing else you can That's say. It's always watch, an excuse, right? We're to going drop. to watch the best player in the world, yeah. so he's on our team. So, but you're right. Winning and losing is what the fans care most about, and there's too much losing at home. Well, you know, how many times has it been worth it to pay 150, 225 bucks for a ticket to watch that team? Just not many nights, man. And then, then the in the in arena atmosphere is terrible. It's all commercials and it's freezing cold. It's not a good fan experience. Like so, I mean, the team has to. If it's going to be like that, the team has to be head and shoulders above everybody else instead of saving its worst hockey of the season for home ice. This is Canada. I mean, obviously, this is the game we watch and follow above all else because it's in a town like Edmonton. This is the game. This is the biggest game in town, and it always will be. There's no. You know, outside of having some other major league franchise come along or something else taking mm-hmm. over our consciences or our our free time, um, yeah. I mean, how how many? I mean, Edmonton isn't Toronto, but how many decades have the Leafs sold out their buildings? Right. You know, since nineteen forty, whatever. That's a long time. Well, I know you're always hoping against hope that this is the year, but. I mean, and it, there's seven Canadian teams. There's three look like two for sure are going to make the playoffs, Toronto and, and Winnipeg. Calgary's kind of on the fence, but they've played pretty well this year. So four don't look like they're going to make it. So it's better than a couple of years ago where all seven missed it. Yeah. 
uh, last year. You know, no, man, it, yeah. you know, it's it's there's no guarantees just because you're a Canadian team you should make the playoffs, but you can't be bad for a long time either. You shouldn't be bad for yeah. well, you can be bad for ten years or so. They'll yeah. still show up. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. It's very yeah. discouraging. And Harold Ballard can own a team, and they'll still show up too. Yeah, yeah. Live I, in the building. You know, I, th- I think it is very uh, hockey is very momentum driven, and when teams get off to good starts, they start to think, okay, this is the style we're going to play. We're good at it, and we're going to keep winning. And and even if you have an okay team but not a great team, you still keep winning the games. And and the orders have not had that at all. No, all season. No. I mean, their longest winning streak is four games. They've played once, once, four games, and they're forty-eight games in. It's not like they once ran off an eight-gamer or something like that, and then got a bunch of injuries. And you know, that's another thing. They can't even fall back on the. Geez, we've had six guys out at the same time. You know, like Vancouver, they had they lost a bunch of guys when they're playing okay, and then they went one two of thirteen or something and fell out of it. The orders can't. Can't even fall back on the, you know, we've lost 300 man games already to injury. No. Can't do it. All right. I'm playing devil's advocate. What if they fire Todd McClellan tomorrow? Who comes in? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the better coaches out there are. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody wants their blood, and then you say, okay, now what? And, you know, I don't know if you want to hire a coach for two months when. Oh, yeah, wait till the off season. Wait till the off season when, you know. A Joel Quenville or somebody might suddenly pop available, and then, so I, yeah. I think I, when it happened before, like Rob, say, you know, would point out they fired Dallas Akins, but they had Todd Nelson in the minors, mm-hmm. and a lot of people thought Todd Nelson was good, and he was good yeah, over those two months. He was quite good, um, you know. And this, I don't know where they stand with Jerry Fleming in the minors. I don't, I don't know. So, but mm-hmm. it would be a an interim basis i don't think they'd be hiring anybody on a full-time basis for no it'd be the akins thing all over again where they would mac t step behind the bench again i don't know i mean he's the only one that comes to mind because he coached for this team for like nine years and and was actually fairly successful he's a good coach he's a good coach uh they lose their mind i don't think you know i don't know if he'd want to do it who knows like i said i hope yeah, like I said, I hope for us as media people, Todd McClellan is gold. Yeah, McTavish is better quote wise. Yeah, and access wise. Yeah, and he know. was a good coach. Like he got the most out of the teams that he had. Definitely, you know, but was, a lot of it was, you know, his roster was not as good as a lot of the rosters they were up against, and he got him into the playoffs, and he got him, you know, until it, until the roster just totally fell apart on him. But yeah, he's a decent coach. But the fans would would lose their lose their minds I think the fans are going to cry for blood no matter what happens this season outside of them all of a sudden winning 10 games in a row and being back in the playoff position I just don't see the the 10 game you see other teams doing it I just don't see it with this winner team the way they are right now I just don't there's too many things that you can't win 10 games in a row if your special teams are awful Mm. because there's too many opportunities in the game to get power plays and penalties you can't do it That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Craig Ellingson. 
Talk to you soon.